or two girls in my math classes. And I actually had a calculus teacher who took one look at the two of us and turned his nose up, and you could tell he did not want women in math. My high school guidance teacher, when I went to her and said I'd like to take a second year of algebra instead of a fifth year of Latin, looked down her nose at me and asked, what lady would take mathematics instead of Latin? But the hurdles couldn't hamper a young girl's passion. And these women had a passion for science, math, and engineering. Here's Carolyn Huntoon. I knew that I wanted to go into a science for my education. The spark came from studying the human body and learning that you could put all kinds of food in your mouth and it could give the nutrients you needed uh, and you'd get rid of what your body didn't need and to me that was fascinating. When I got into high school, that was my first exposure to algebra and I fell in love with it. I really did. Fourth grade, my dad gave me a chemistry set and I blew out a little piece of the wall and and luckily (laughs) my dad was pretty impressed. I thought at the time, he said, my goodness, Joanne, how did you do this? And I said, oh, it was the chemistry set. But for women growing up in the 1940s and 1950s, a passion for science and engineering didn't mean a career in science and engineering. Amy Foster is a professor of history at the University of Central Florida. It's not a place I want to go back to. As a woman, it's not a place I want to go back to. During the Second World War, women who hadn't been in the workforce before built planes and tanks and supported the war effort through their work. Well, when the war came to an end, women were told, thank you for your service, go back home and have babies. And that attitude of 1945 stayed strong through the 1950s and into the early 1960s. As a result, the number of women scientists and engineers and the number of women who wanted to be was tiny. Margaret Weidekamp is a curator with the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum. Very often for women who are interested in the sciences or in engineering in the late 1950s, they would often be the only woman or one of very few women in those college programs. That is, if they could get into a college program at all. Here's NASA engineer Ann Murworth. I wanted to go to Georgia Tech and I applied thinking that would be no problem, but it was an all-male school. I found shortly thereafter that most of the engineering schools were male schools. I started as a freshman at the University of Florida. Joanne Morgan. And there were, at that time, no women in the engineering school. So my counselor, when she went over my exam score, she said, you would be wonderful if you'd go to the business school. The women who have succeeded in fields in aviation and science and engineering, moving into the workforce was another hurdle to get over. Even with the degree, there was an expectation that a young woman wouldn't necessarily have the career aspirations that a young man would. That was certainly the case for engineer Ann Murworth and for astronomer Nancy Grace Roman. I was actually an instructor and an assistant professor at the University of Chicago. But I realized I had no chance of tenure. I didn't know of any woman who had tenure in a research observatory. One of the first places that I interviewed for a job was IBM in Atlanta. And um, they showed me two pay scales. Here's the pay scale for women right next to it, the pay scale for men at about 35% higher for the men. There's no way I was doing that. I bought a book and looked at places that hired people that had the kind of education that I had, and I wrote letters to them all. And I had gotten an offer from the Naval Research Lab, Dahlgren, which was really out in the boonies. So I kept on going, and I saw the sign for Goddard Space Flight Center and said, I'm here for an interview. And they did look at me like I had two heads. 
So they sent me off then. By the time I got back to the personnel building, I had three job offers from Goddard. Actually, NASA was a great place for a woman to work in the early 60s, in spite of the fact that there were so few of us. What made it great is that, in the scientific parts of NASA, a lot of the stumbling blocks you found in the outside world had been taken out of the way. If you worked hard, you got to do the job. And it didn't matter that my first two years there, I was a postdoc. People didn't care. And more importantly, she says they didn't care if you were a woman either. It turns out that this attitude at NASA was not just an accident. Here's historian Amy Foster. What I found extraordinarily was a policy that came out in 1965. What this policy said was that NASA would not discriminate based on race, sex, but also to include physical handicap. That's something that the United States doesn't legislate on the federal level until 1990. And that blew my mind. This open atmosphere allowed women to thrive, whether it was Nancy Roman in astronomy or Carolyn Huntoon exploring the science of the body in weightlessness. I was particularly interested in the biochemical.